Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast, and welcome today to this Father's Day episode with my father, Tim Young. And uh, so I appreciate Dad being on the podcast today. And uh, thanks for being on, Dad. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. And uh, of course, Dad is in the ministry and uh, has been serving the Lord since he got saved at the age of 22. And I am. Got to follow in his footsteps, and it's nice to uh, not only have a father, but also a mentor in the ministry. And, um, you know, I saw just dad's life being patterned before me just as a kid. Uh, and, you know, the big deal in, in the ministry for dad, I, I believe it wasn't just about the ministry and being a pastor, but uh, the Lord himself was a big deal in our home. And uh, everything was, you know, centered around the Lord. And so as soon as I got saved, it didn't take me very long. It wasn't like I've, I felt like I could pastor, but I was drawn into the pastorate. Uh, and I'm very, very thankful to have um, someone to, to pattern uh, what being a pastor looks like in front of me. And, and so not only do I have a, uh, a dad and a father uh, who loves the Lord, but also I have a mentor in the ministry. So I'm, I'm thankful for my dad in very many different ways. And uh, we are coming up on Father's Day. And so we're going to talk about being a father today. Well, okay, let's do that. Then. Okay. I happen to be I, one. You I too. have a question for you. Because okay. we'll talk, you know, fatherhood has to do with heritage, and everybody has a heritage. And, right. And uh, some have a goodly heritage, and some do not. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you named in 1980 Heritage Baptist Church, um, get the name Heritage. And there is some other Heritage Baptist churches out there, but not a lot, not a very common name, I would say, among Baptist churches. So what, uh, what inspired you to name the church Heritage Baptist? Well, I, uh, the, what caught my attention was reading the Psalms one day and read the 16th Psalm. And this is well before even knowing to start a church or anything, and I saw I have a goodly heritage, it says, uh, referring to the fact of his background and so forth. And I thought... Um, That'd be a great church's name, mm -hmm. Heritage Baptist Church, just simply because it has the idea of uh, those that have gone on before us. And uh, as a result, now having uh, been around there for 41 years, uh, just to see the people and see their kids mm -hmm. and you know grow up and uh, see their kids. It's funny, there's teenagers that were in the church or even uh, younger than teenagers mm -hmm. now that have grandchildren uh, that they were kids uh, coming to church when, when I started. first started the church. So yeah. it's just kind of amazing. Yeah. So you like that kind of a heritage. Amen. And we have a new family that had gotten saved and baptized and uh, joined the church not long ago. And they started meeting some of the people and then realized that so many of them were related to one another. Yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, at first they're like, you know, wow. You know, so it's just a family <laughs> church. And I said, well, if you think about it, they married within the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they stayed in church. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. And that is my desire as a as a pastor to have a multi generational church. And uh, so last uh, Memorial Day here was the last week is Memorial Day, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, week from last Monday. So right. Heritage Baptist was singing at um, in Marion at the cemetery. And so there is a lot of people my age who grew up in that church, and they all have children, and it, they have received a heritage. And so the, the church has lived up to its name. And, uh, you know, that would be my desire as a pastor. My dream is just to have a multi-generational church uh, where, you know, you see kids be born, you, they stay there. I mean, people are going to move. People are going to move away. 
and you are going to lose a certain percent of of uh, young kids, unfortunately, to the world. Uh, but I'd like to see, you know, just a family. And yeah, you know, like to see how the kids grow up and marry each other and yeah, stay, right. in, and stay in church. It's, it's such a strange thing to people. Mm-hmm. That's why this uh, gentleman was saying to me, he said, um, wow, everybody's related to one another, though it's a bad thing. Uh-huh. And I helped him understand it's a good thing. That yeah. means that they're they married within the church, and so and it uh, definitely isn't stagnant. You know, I was talking to uh, Andrew, um, my brother, <laughs> your son, and um, and he said, "Yeah, I was there in Heritage on Sunday night." He's like, "Man, it was like probably 120 people there." And I said, "I I don't think I knew half of them." Of course, Andrew's moved to Buffalo. Probably he's been there for six or seven years, something like that, at least. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And um, so the church is still growing, but you still have that multi-generational no, I, been facet. been there longer than that, 10 years, I think. Oh, yeah, maybe. Him, so yeah, maybe. I think Logan was born there. Yeah, so, yeah. And he's going to be 10. So it's definitely month. not stagnant at all, but right. there is that contingent that grew up in the church, they stay in the church, they get married a lot of times inside the church. Yeah. Uh, and um, just... just stay with it. And so there is a heritage, there is a lineage passed down. And you think of the impact that has on a community like Palmyra and Mary and that area over there is just a, a group of uh, several hundred people that um, are just serving the Lord from, you know, from 1980 onward. Yeah. So it, that, that's it's a great a, it, thing. Yeah. It's a definitely a blessing. And, uh, and then still seeing uh, new, new families coming in and new generations coming in and stuff like that. Uh, that's always, uh, and we always think about that in church, church growth and building to have new people, new people, but we oftentimes have forgotten the idea that these kids that have grown up under us, Mm -hmm. it's like having bus routes and picking up kids and being seemingly more tuned towards them than you are your own kids, uh, can be, you know, it could be misleading because, uh, we just assume our kids are going to make it, but they don't all make it. No. Uh, so we always have to be mindful to to be concerned with them. So, yeah, a goodly heritage. Um, right. Uh, I have a goodly heritage was the theme, and that's actually... The her- heritage has to do with legacy. Right. And legacy goes from generation to generation. And, uh, you know, I, I explain legacy when, you, you know, you get a deep snow, the you know, the first person down the sidewalk leaves a little trail, and the right. second one makes it a little deeper, and the third, before you know it, you have a rut, you have a path way to follow mm-hmm. and so the kids let's say if they get backslidden and they fall away from the trail they can they they know where the path is they have a path to get back on mm-hmm. they and, can find the trail because mm-hmm. there is one yeah mm-hmm. no that's so true i i, I just think and uh, thinking about heritage it's amazing the amount of things that i've learned about my heritage in the young family mm-hmm. um, of course uh, your grandmother my mom is she'll celebrate her 100th birthday uh, this year. And uh, fortunately, with that comes uh, a lot of uh, understanding about uh, those that went on before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, uh, we can reach back a few generations. And I was mentioning uh, to you this morning that uh, have one of these, I don't know what is silver plated pictures of my grandfather, who was born in 1876. And he, he is this picture of him and his best friend and a lifelong friend. Um, that my dad was named after, but John Young, my grandfather, uh, was a believer, and his father, George Young, was born in the 1840s. We find out then that he served in a church. He uh, shared the gospel with people. He helped you know grow a church and everything, and 
uh, something's written about him. And I never knew that. I didn't know that mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how many years of my life, probably uh, my Christian life, probably 20 years, 30 years uh, before I found out that, you know, I do have a goodly heritage. There's people and back in my lineage. It's not that, like we hold a covenant theology where we think the parents are going to say, therefore the children are going to get saved. But there right. is definitely something to be said from Scripture that God is going to bless your progenity, your offspring, if you serve the Lord, at right. least to the third and fourth generation. That's from one. So if the second generation picks up the, um, you know, picks up the mantle and goes with it, so either a blessing to me, I could stray from that. And it might jump and skip a generation to the third and fourth generation. But if right. I pick up the mantle, now there's a there's a principle, at least, if not a promise, to the third and fourth generation. I was talking to uh, Pastor Bruce Craig. He was on, and he was he his father was not saved. His mother was saved, if I remember the story correctly. Uh, I believe his father got saved later on in life. But he can trace... Baptist in his family all the way back to Scotland, and there was a Craig who was a Baptist preacher who was friends with John Knox. No, no kidding. (laughs) And that's one of his ancestors. And so there is something to be said about standing for the faith that is going to directly bless your family immediate and then your offspring for generations to come. Yeah, And, and it's best, obviously, in the responsibility of fatherhood. And mine was, you know, simply... Uh, I guess by accident, not understanding, because I did not have that instruction or, I mean, I had a good family, I had a good mom and good dad. And there was uh, a Christian ethic. Yeah, ethic is for So there was a, a, a God consciousness right. in the home. Yeah, and there was a desire, I know, in my mom and dad that, you know, they had five kids, uh, did have six, but the oldest one uh, uh, passed away. Uh, before the rest of them came on board, and then there were five of us, and at one time they were probably all uh, close to teenagers. Um, so they were kind of close together. Uh, but there was always that atmosphere that it was family-oriented. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't have our disagreements, but even to this day we interact with one mm-hmm. another as family, mm-hmm. where you see some families where they won't have any time to, any time for their siblings and whatnot. Um, but I think it, it was handed down. And you, so, and you did grow up in church. And, you know, I believe a lot of the greatest generation, they did have a God conscience. Right. They did go to church, even if it was just, you know, checking a box, and that was their social outlet on Sunday morning, but things about God were being said from the pulpit, so they gave some sort of a tribute to God. Uh, but then with the young family, uh, one of the fascinating things, I think, is that all the children, now Grandma's 99, but all the children are getting up into their 70s now. Paul's the youngest. He's 65, something he'd be, like He'll be 66 this year. Okay. Yeah. And they're all married to their... the First wives. Yeah. Yeah, we all have... Or uh, husband. So, but or yeah, husband. Yeah, yeah we have right. a sister. And, yeah. and, and so, she was married the longest so far, but yes, yeah, all of them. Yeah, so that, I mean, they're all going to be, if they if they live, I mean, they're all coming up on their 50th yeah. anniversaries. Well, Sue's probably, at, she was married in 68, so she's had 53. Okay. Um, wedding anniversaries, and then Jeff was next, and then Marianne and I. And so you you only stay no, Dawn, you know yeah. you only stay married when there's the loyalty, fidelity to the home, to the family, um, and that was just portrayed in your generation. And then I say too, like Grandpa didn't get saved till later on in life, but like as soon as Grandma received Christ, um, 
you know, she just was all in. Yeah, got involved. Yeah. And the fact is they were married for 48 and a half years. So there was never really a consideration in our generation for divorce. Right. I mean, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't a concept. I'm not saying that none of them ever mentioned it. Yeah. Right. But it, it it passed. And um, so that, I think that's a good heritage right there and goes back some generations where there was a fidelity and there was a faithfulness and a continuance of a, yeah. A marriage. And so um, your grandfather on the young side, what's his name? John. John. So John was saved, and then his father here, George Young, and if you're watching this, I'm going to hold it up. I don't know how good you can see that, uh, but mom and dad put this together for me a little while back. And um, here is a commendation at his funeral from his church, and I'll read this because it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So resolution on the death of George W. Young, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, April 23rd, 1920. So April 23rd, 1920, this is his funeral, and this is the uh, resolution by his church. Um, oh, did you, did, was that on the original resolution? What? Psalm 16.6. Um, you know, I don't <laughs> if know. It, if it was, that would be pretty amazing because Psalm 16.6 is on this, and I don't know if... Um, well, I have to per, look at it because I mom had, I do over there too. And um, oh, do you have a copy of the original? Well, it's a copy of the copy, right. but oh, yeah, okay. there's. But this is this is something that's you know typed up and uh, reproduced but, with George I have, I have no idea. Um, so the verse Psalm sixteen sixteen is on this, and that'd be interesting if that was the same, if that was on the resolution, and then you use that to name the Baptist Church. So the lines are falling unto me. Uh, unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage, Psalm 16, 6. To the session, so this is a resolution, your committee appointed to prepare suitable resolution upon the death of George W. Um, Young submits the following, whereas God in his wisdom has seen fit to call George W. Young in the midst of active service in the church on earth to the larger life in the church triumphant, whereas that we hereby record our health, our heartfelt appreciation of his invaluable service as a Christian man, his untiring efforts and loyalty as a teacher of the women's Bible class, which he organized in his willingness to love and serve his master and his church in whatsoever he was called. He was faithful in all things, and is faithful to his duty is a shining example to us. We shall miss his earnest prayers at the midweek service as well as in Sabbath school. We shall miss him at the preaching service from which he was rarely absent. His great love for the church in which he worked over 30 years and of which he was a charter member and untiring interest in the saving of souls together with his years of experience made his counsel invaluable. He will be missed in every organization of the church, especially by the members of his class, in which he was teaching at the time he was stricken with illness that proved fatal three days later. We direct them for comfort in their loss to the God whom he loved and whom he served to the last. We feel that he has fought a good fight, he has finished his course, and kept the faith. Henceforth, he has received the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give at that day. We feel his loss keenly, but we know 
his wish would be that we take up the work he so much loved with renewed vigor and be the same never-failing inspiration to officers, teachers, and scholars that he was. Therefore, be it resolved that Calvary Church, the Calvary Sabbath School, the Calvary Young People Society of Christian Endeavor extend their sincere sympathy to the members of his family in their sadness, and be it further resolved that a copy of these resolutions shall be spread upon the proper record of the church and that a copy be sent to the members of his family. And so I, I can't imagine a greater com- commendation um, given, given to anybody than what was given to George Young, just yeah. a faithful member of his church. And that's amazing because growing up I had no knowledge of the fact of um, – the salvation or my ancestry as far as my father's uh, grandfather or my father's father, uh, who I knew, he, he was 84 years old when he died in 1961. And um, I knew him for you know 10 years and still remember him. But when I did get saved, I wrote to my aunt, who was a school teacher, never married, and she lived with her father, which is John Young. And when I got saved, I wrote her a letter telling her that I'd gotten saved. I didn't use that vernacular because I didn't know whether she even understood that. Mm-hmm. But uh, she wrote back to me and and said, yes. She said, I was saved. And I, uh, I can't remember, I think she was 13 or 14 years old when she got saved. And in my letter, I'd asked if Gramp had been saved. And he said, oh, yes. Uh, she said, I can still remember uh, looking over his white head, meaning his hair color, as he read the Bible every evening. And he, she said, yeah, he definitely knew the Lord. And when she passed, I got her Bible. You know, I'm, I was the resident religious receiver, you know, <laughs> right, of all right. the family. It's uh, a Bible. Give it to Tim. <laughs> yeah, give it to Tim. He needs another <laughs> one, you know. But actually in her Bible, in the Flyleaf and Bible, was the plan of salvation written out on how to get saved so she could actually take it and show it to somebody. Yeah. And it had written out, you've, you got, you need to know you're a sinner. You need to, yeah. you know, yeah. and so forth. It was all written out, still have the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so she definitely knew the gospel, yeah, but then e- evangelicals. Yeah. yeah. And then actually reaching back to, as, uh, you just mentioned, as far as uh, George would be my great grandfather born in 18, I think 46 or 49, um, and him being interested in getting the gospel. And we don't know what was going on in the generation before him or the generation before. Exactly, no. We, and, and so you imagine a, a man who was sold out like that, there's a strong possibility he was raised in a godly home. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. And certainly in that day and age, obviously, the Lord had a great deal more influence on a lot of homes mm-hmm. than he does presently in that way. But uh, so... Uh, I don't. I don't know. I think maybe uh, having that put together, we threw that verse in there. But that'd be something if it was. You know, <laughs> yeah, we'll same look. Verse. We'll look when the podcast is over. Oh, okay, that's next good. year we'll give we'll give an update on the, on the Father's <laughs> Day podcast. But you know, the thing is, is that I think with the idea of fatherhood, most of us go into it having no idea what's happening and what's going on most of the time. You can read books about how to father, mm-hmm. and sometimes they can be good, but. Um, I think so much is the idea of staying close to the Lord because I think as a result, uh, it overcomes a lot of evil. Right. Uh, just by having that desire to uh, 
uh, follow the Lord. So when it came to parenting, I mean, I never had any instructions as far as being a dad and or nor my wife being the mother and so forth. Everything was mm. passed down from a previous generation. Right. My dad right. enjoyed, uh, you know, spending time with his boys. He had four of them and he, he we went hunting, we went fishing, hiking and everything else. And it's kind of, that's what I knew growing up. And that's what we experienced yeah. while you and Andrew were growing and you had up. fatherhood pattern to you. And yeah. And so it wasn't something that you had to reinvent, but it's something that you learned subconsciously. Yeah. Now some people that didn't have that, I think it's imperative that they are, have to be more conscious mm-hmm. of what fatherhood is. And I think it could go one or two ways because, um, you know, I consider myself that I've come from a good home. Uh, so what the temptation is for me is just to rely upon my flesh, you know, and not go to the Bible to reinvent my parenting. Right. And so you can see somebody that's comes sometimes that come from a bad home. I think of uh, Robin Shaver. Yeah. You oh, know? yeah. And it's just, just terrible background. I mean, you know, I've heard Ken Shaver talk about it freely from the pulpit. So I'm sure she didn't mind me saying that, but, um, but I mean, she's a great mother. Yeah, and yeah, Great parent, you, you yeah. know, and I think what happens is she just had to go back and look at scripture and look at other women of God, and then just you yeah. know, she up. was on her own at sixteen years old, or right? Something, yeah, like parents 15, essentially 15. said, "Get out of here," you know. We yeah, don't. she you know yeah. worked and paid her rent and and everything else, and she was still in high school. Yeah, and it can be done. Yeah. And if you don't know exactly what to do, there's ways you can find out, certainly the Lord, but mm-hmm. following examples. Right. And and so the temptation is for, you know, someone who considers themselves coming from a good home that we would just rely upon the flesh and not upon the spirit of God like we should. And then uh, if you come from a home that's this terrible, you don't use that as an excuse, just, you know, well, I'm, I can't help it. Uh, but you can reinvent yourself is from the word of God and from, you know, you get godly mentors and parents of your own. And I think there is a principle in the Bible, um, you know, that, uh, that Paul teaches to young Timothy. He says the same that you've heard among me, among many witnesses. Now, now Paul was a, was a father to, to Timothy calls mm-hmm. my son, my son in the faith. Mm-hmm. He says the same commit thou to faithful men who'll be able to teach us others also. Um, so if you uh, grew up without a father, you can say, well, who are my father figures? Well, you get to choose your fathers and, you know, choose those men, those apostle Paul's. And then who are, who are my children, either physical or spiritual children uh, that I will mentor that I'll father. Uh, but I thought of something when you're talking is, uh, you know, parenting, there's no, you know, if you, you could sum up the direct instruction for parents in the Bible, and we could read those verses, and it'd take us a good solid 30 seconds or something, yeah. or a little bit longer. Maybe so, a little longer. So, there's, so there's, a lot, there's a lot of principles in the Bible, but it's not, you know, there's not a solid instruction manual, um, you know, page after page, do this in the morning, do this in the afternoon. Right, right, um, right. But I heard about a, a child psychologist who, for his master's thesis, wrote the five laws of parenting. Uh, then he got married and had five kids. You know, when they're toddlers, he, he revisited his work in the next production. Uh, the, the next printing of his uh, book, his thesis, was five principles. <laughs> <laughs> then they got a little bit older, you know, pre-adolescent, and um, it was five thoughts. <laughs> And then when they became teenagers, it was, I have no idea how to parent. (laughs) No, that's true. You have to hang on. But I I think there's some foundational stuff that people oftentimes 
don't give credit to, and that's getting to church, get your mm-hmm. kids in church, mm-hmm. and have a right attitude about church. Mm-hmm. Ha- enjoy it. Enjoy the preaching and the teaching. I think that's one. The other is having God in your home. Right. Rather than just say, we punched the clock last Sunday, and we went to church Sunday, and that's the Christianity will... And I, th- I think it almost does damage to a child about the matter of God when you lock God up onto Sunday morning. And you go visit him. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, right. And then also, like, you know, with Christian school or even homeschool, you think, wow, they're, they're, they have to memorize verses for their uh, homeschool. But, you know, if you're not talking about them and it's not real and you're not, because <clears throat> kids, it doesn't matter what you say, it's where you put the emphasis. It's the example, you yeah. know. So if God's a big deal... Um, to you, naturally, I mean, there's always a few black sheep in any family, but naturally, right. you know, your children are going to follow your example. And I believe that's why Lydia was told in Acts and then also the Philippian jailer that you shall be saved and your house. Yeah, your house. Because yeah. they, they figure that the leader of the home, if they choose Christ, that the rest of the home is going to follow suit. Right. It's, yeah, it's it's critical in mar- in marrying, choosing a marriage. It's funny because when I go to the jail and we're just getting retrained to go, be able to go back in there, after, you know, post COVID, uh-huh. and um, uh, you know, I do do many times the uh, ladies' church service on Saturday night and then the men's on Sunday morning, and a lot of times with the ladies having been there, and some of them were residents for some time or they'd come back for a mm-hmm. postgraduate course i call that <laughs> yes yes um and uh, i would say to them how many belong to the she woman men's haters club and several <laughs> of them would raise their hand uh-huh. you know they hate men you know because they did this to them and that and i said well who picked them for you and then they get real sheepish because they picked them for themselves yes. and i said well it sounds like you need to get a better picker um and find somebody and, and the whole challenge was to try to help them understand that uh, building a life and a home and most all I'd say how many of you had children and you know 70% would raise their hand sure that children sure. here was mom in jail yes and got children and I young know it, children yeah most and of the time they would have they would pick some fella that uh, obviously was self-centered and selfish and so were they as well but <clears throat> that fathered a child but they don't have a father no yeah, and that is the that is what is missing in, mm-hmm. uh, in those w- women's lives. And you read about statistics, and then also yeah. uh, from prison, most of the like eighty percent of the men in prison, something like this. I'm just guessing, but I guarantee it's close if you Googled it. Uh, grew up without fathers of the men who are in prison, like eighty percent. Right. And uh, you know your fa- you know you need a father and you need a mother in the home or a father mother figure in the home. I think the wonderful thing and the miraculous thing about the local New Testament church that if you are a single parent, you know bring them to church. And if there's not sure. a mother figure there that uh, are in the home, you will find one in church. If there's not a father figure uh, in the home, you will find one in church. And you can have spiritual fathers. And I think the Lord uh, will fill in that gap. But, um, but yeah, there's no doubt. I, you know, we have, as you do probably as well, single mother (coughs) or mothers that they're the only ones that are saved. The husband's Mm -hmm. not saved and the husband's really not involved much in what's going on. But I feel bad when they, they think that they don't fit in because, uh, it's expected for them to have a husband. They're trying to raise children by themselves and they, they couldn't find a better place to find a a male example. Somebody loves the Lord. Right. Uh, and I'll just interject this with that same thought. A lot of times when we come to education, 
we think everybody can read it out of a book and or everybody can do it, uh, you know, uh, an extension class somewhere. But, you know, a lot of times the personality of the teacher has a tremendous influence mm-hmm. on, this, on the pupil. Yeah. Their excitement for the subject matter, mm-hmm. their personal testimony of different things. So sometimes there needs to be uh, that model or that example. And so you take a child and put them in Sunday school right. and they got a teacher and hopefully they love the Lord and mm-hmm. they've spent their time preparing themselves and with the Lord that week. And that has a powerful influence on a child that maybe doesn't have a dad. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I, I can say, um, you know, my wife and I have been married for 20 years, but we, you know, we bring our kids to church on Sunday morning. Uh, their, their teachers, um, name is Karen and Karen does an amazing job with my kids. I mean, yeah. she's just, uh, she's a tough Italian woman. She wouldn't mind me telling you that, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but man, she, you know, she drills those kids and tells yeah. them her opinion on things and really strong convictions. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a, uh, a visitor that had put their girls in the class for the first time. And, you know, they were blown away by the stuff that she was saying or whatever. Uh, and I said, man, she's done our kids a lot of good. She really has. Um, and so the, the church plays can play a big role in that. Um, now I, I think of, um, guys without fathers and you can go one or two directions. Um, you know, I was talking to RB a lot. He's going to be at our church next week for Father's Day. Oh, is he really? He's yeah, going yeah. to be at our church in August. Okay. Yeah. So he's he's here for Father's Day, and he was he was telling me last time he was here, uh, he said I was talking to um, John Jenkins, and he said, you know, John Jenkins and I both had good fathers, and he said, you know, uh, Clarence Sexton, uh, his father was an alcoholic, um, and he you know left he the family card shark yeah. and everything like that, and just was a gambler, and so was Jerry Falwell's father. His oh, Jerry Falwell's well, father was like a bootlegger and things mm-hmm. like this. Oh, wow. Uh, Jack Hiles grew up without a father. Yeah. J. Frank Norris grew up with a drunkard father. Hmm. And uh, and he said, I guess I guess that means that you and I, John Jenkins, <laughs> gonna make it. <laughs> we're just going to be average. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to be ordinary. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's like those trials in life, <laughs> those vacancies, either you can stumble over that or you can use that as a catalyst just uh-huh. uh, for personal growth. I was reading something. There was this um, rock star named Tom Petty, and he died a few years ago in his 70s, but he you know, had all sorts of platinum records and everything. So there was someone from Geffen Records, and he said that um, he said a, rock, a good rock star is going to have one or two things. He said they're either going to have a father who rejected them or they're going to have a mother who um, left them. He said with Tom Petty, his mother died when he was six. And then he had a father who rejected him. So he was a really good rock star. (laughs) And, and you you know, you'll see this like with Madeline Murray O'Hare and a lot of other atheists of renown. Mm -hmm. Um, The ultimate thing is they really hated God because of what happened to him. Yeah, with their father figure. Yeah, that's people. It is so tough for them. I'm talking about people uh, that um, you know are up in years, my age, older. They still reflect back on the fact their, their of father, their father or mother, mm-hmm. or that they're missing something in their life, and it all stems with that. Keep that in mind, listener. Um, it's not a matter of just say, "Well, they'll be fine." You know, I have them sometime, and she has them sometime, mm-hmm. and everything. The rest of their life will be affected 
by that. You say, well, maybe they'll excel, but there'll always be a void there mm-hmm. in their life. Always. And, and they're trying to please a father who is not there. You know, I love Winston Churchill reading about him. I just uh, read a good book by Eric Larson. It's called The Splendid and the Vile. And it was Winston Churchill's leadership just for one year during the bombing of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was... He, he, he wrote like 10,000 words a day or some ridiculous um, thing. And then, uh, you know, he led his country through the great crisis of World War II. But his father, Lord Randolph Churchill, um, just abandoned him, put him in a boarding school. Lord Randolph would go and speak across the street from where Winston was in school and not walk across the street. Great to see him, yeah to visit Winston. And so when he was prime minister, he would sit underneath the picture of Lord Randolph Churchill and he would cry and say, I wish, I wish Lord Randolph was here to see this. Mm. And so even after his, his dad was dead and he was an older man and he was an older man, dad died of syphilis, you know, Mm. from fooling around. Um, and even when he's an old man, he's still trying to please his absentee father. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's and, a, it's it. It has a profound effect. Uh, k- kids that have a broken home, and I'm not saying that it's it, it's 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 happened, it's over, or whatever the case may be. But you have to pick up those pieces. And going back to the idea of father, and as you said, you got to get to church. You got to be around people, and you have to be careful too, because there are people, and it, like you said, pull your guard down when you're in Christian school. Pull guard down when you're, you know you know, around church people or camp Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. because you also have to protect them still because there are bad influences in there. Um, Last night in our midweek service I was doing, I'm doing on the the message of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and it comes to the the place where you have heard, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus, uh, you know, he draws applications to it. You even uh, think on it, you know, in your mind, look on to lust after You've committed adultery. And we're living in a day and age. Um, so I made mention last night. Um, girls, don't let these men hug you. Unless it's your dad mm-hmm. or it's some relative that you want. I said, now I had I had a creepy um great uncle <laughs> and all the women <laughs> yeah. in the family were a little what, like, weird, weird, weird of them. Yeah, uncle. weird, you know. And yeah. um everybody's got that weird uncle. Yeah. yeah. So um you know, and I just said, keep your hand, you, you fellas, keep your hands, you know, off of these yeah. girls. Why yeah. don't you, I said, I said, why don't you hug their mother first, then hug them? <laughs> right. I said, we don't do that. You take these teenagers and young men, now, whether people like it or not, I have no concern. His, historically, Christians have behaved like that. I don't mean hugging, not hugging. Yeah. Not putting your hands on somebody else's child or whatever right. the case yeah. may be. And nowadays we think, oh, it's so much a wonderful Christian. No, because normally those people aren't really involved in doing anything for the ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, and, and uh, you know, I've said, you know, said this before, just like there's dirty cops, you know, and the rest of them get uh, the flack from, there's dirty preachers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, also, or dirty in, in layman, a, too. Oh, right? Yeah. And I've no more dirty layman than I have dirty preachers, right? And uh, there's perverts in society, and perverts go to church, right? So, yeah, always have your guard up. And I think also that's 
the, another thing is important that, you know, if you go to a church and it's like, cause there's some churches that are like all encompassing campuses. I mean, you've got, uh, uh, you know, cradle to the grave, you know, you got even got some churches even have a cemetery that you're placed in. Yeah, right. And so sometimes believers think that with they're on the campus, everything is like, let the guard down. Everything is safe. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why, um, the number one responsibility of a parent Deuteronomy six or Deuteronomy chapter number eight is that you teach your kids diligently about the things of God and your kids need to know that if they go to Christian school, um, that they need to have their guard up against sinners and wicked people. Now, if you sent them to public school, you tell them that automatically. Yeah. Right. And, um, but you know, they're going to church, have your guard up, be thinking yeah. about this stuff. Yeah. You're, I think in my, my age, of course you're still rearing your children. I think now in my age with my kids reared and so forth, and I have to watch my grandchildren being uh, reared and I had to make sure I, I have to make sure I stay out of the business of my kids and doing their responsibility unless there's some advice or, you know, concerning a situation. But um, I guess I have a now having children that are reared, I have a greater father type, spirit mm -hmm. than i did then because sure. i think life was going on and you didn't think about it's it but now so quick and there's so much stuff and you yeah, were building coming the at you like at the a time a, yeah. and you know and it, uh, yeah it comes at you too fast and you got kids and decisions making but now looking at it i have a greater a it, burden as like it, with a it, father like spirit towards it, and don't the you kids. think if you want to shake the world for god i mean take a few children and pour your life into them oh yeah i mean i the, the very verses down the road versus again. the masses, the multitudes. They well, then, then it's about us. Then it's a gen, one generation situation. But when you put things in, I I think uh, you know I'm thinking of a couple people. I think of Mark Bushy, a missionary for right. many years now, mm -hmm. the head of the missions department at First Baptist Church in Hammond, doing a great job. He and his, he and his dear wife. I think a Rich Hack, who's been pastoring probably close to 30 years, came out of our church, mm -hmm. um, and then. Even now, right now, I have one young lady that just uh, went to Indiana to interview for a Christian school position, and uh, two weeks ago, and then this last weekend, went down to North Carolina to interview. She's going to probably choose one of them when she leaves. I mean, yeah, you planted a seed. Yeah. Now you talk and, about and, the different and there's people. many, many others. Yeah, many, many others that are like that. To me, it's like you know, I, I'm I don't want to say more concerned, but I am concerned that, for example, this young lady gets in a place that will the pastor will take care of her mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. you know be a father type not and image to her but the fact is is be concerned about and, her as a and father if you go through the gospels you see that the majority i couldn't tell you what percent i knew at one time of jesus speaking is, is to his disciples yeah 12 and one of them was the devil you're right so i mean he poured his life and then turned the world upside down uh, by pouring his life into 12 men Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's so true. I think the idea of, I don't know when it all started, um, but the thing is, is where people try to build these empires and kingdoms mm -hmm. and it's all about them. And when that person dies, it's kind of like God died. It, well, let me it, tell it, you something. Got it? Right. And it fizzles <laughs> in one generation. And that's another thing too, that I believe about building a multi-generational church that the foundation and people's relationship would be built on the word of God and Lord Jesus Christ. So that, you know, if I dropped out of a heart attack and fall, the church is going to be going on strong because it wasn't built on me and my charisma. And well, even if the, here's our liability in 21st century is the building is kind of our church. Uh, 
but you're you're supposed we're building people and sometimes you know churches have split over a building mm-hmm. um, that's my church i've been going there 30 years even if somebody comes in with a destructive nature and people decide hey i got to go find a church that teaches the bible they're going to be going on forever they're going to go on it, it, so rather it's kind of like first century Right, you, you had you know fifteen, twenty thousand Christians or something in Jerusalem, and the Lord sends Paul in there to or Saul. At yeah, the time. Saul. Yeah, the, okay, kick them all out, and really, the Lord planted them throughout the empire so that when Paul went on his missionary journeys, they already had a little Christian foundation. Yeah, all scattered all around. Yeah, yeah, no. So I think that's let's let's not build buildings. Let's build people, and when you mm-hmm. build people, they'll last longer than buildings will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I and you know, the Bible says that nor, no flesh will glory in my presence. And so we, you know, we think that our name, you know, Solomon says that these rich men think their name's going to go on forever. It's not. People no, are going to forget who you are, but who cares? <laughs> we're not propagating our name. We're propagating the name of Christ. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think uh, there's a lot of fathers out there who's have, who got saved later in life or they didn't know when they were rearing their children and their, their hearts are heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything, that's where prayer comes in. Mm-hmm. And not not ever giving up. If there's life, there's hope. And um, Amen. allow your life to be an example now. And then Absolutely. learn to say, you're, I'm st- so- you're still you're still living a legacy. Yeah. And and even if you go to them and the kids, uh, you got saved later and your kids are grown and everything, I don't mean go there and, you know, hang on their ankles or whatever. But the thing is, is go there and say, you know what, I, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't realize my responsibility when I, you know, when you kids were going up and I realized the Lord's revealed it to me. And, uh, I, I just want to let you know that I'm sorry for not being what I could have been and should have been for the Lord at that time. And at least you're setting the ground rules for what the future is. You give them your, you gave them your testimony. Mm-hmm. Now live your testimony. Right. And yeah. die your testimony. And then even maybe perhaps after. Well, even gone. after your death of like, you know what, you know, get saved. And then they had that pattern laid before them, uh, which is, which is vitally important. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I've got a few quotes here. It's pretty good stuff. So here's from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In case you never heard of him, you better look him up because you need it. <laughs> he says, schoolmasters are well enough, but godly fathers are both by order nature and grace the best instructors uh, instructors of their sons nor can they delegate the sacred duty when fathers are tongue-tied religiously need they wonder if their children's hearts remain sin-tied religious conversation need not be dull right and uh the prince of preachers charles Haddon spurgeon who started his ministry uh, just as a teenager um had a godly legacy and he was able to be a child prodigy because he lived with his grandfather preacher for a while his father was a preacher and here he says that the conversations with fathers on religious matters uh can is irreplaceable right oh yeah they're going to hear it at church they're going to hear it in sunday school it's like i always say at the church the pat they expect the visitors expect the pastor to be friendly Mm-hmm. but they're really shocked when the church is friendly. <laughs> right. And you expect to hear about God at church. But the thing is, is if they hear about God Monday through Saturday, it just is reinforced, you know? Yeah. And people yeah. are shocked. That yeah, absolutely. People talk about it. I mean, if somebody found out today that, 
there's a family next door that reads the Bible every night after the meal or in the morning. Mm -hmm. They have a devotion. They have no idea what that is. They may even mock it as far as that. No. But the thing is, is that there was a time where even the unsaved read their Bible, knew their Bible. Absolutely. And, you know, they always gave reference to the Almighty. Yes. You know, uh, Benjamin Franklin talks about, uh, in his autobiography, about the Great Revival, the Great Awakening that was happening at the time. Benjamin Franklin was not a believer. I don't think that he was ever saved. I think he respected God, which a lot of our founders did, uh, even if they weren't believers. He was friends with George Whitfield, the great evangelist. Uh, But he said that in Boston, where he lived, he said you couldn't walk past one single house without hearing people singing hymns together. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we have no idea. And I I only come from, you know, I'll be 70 in in a few weeks. But the fact is, is that uh, I remember people going to church. Now, I don't remember people having devotions or, you know, singing hymns and whatnot uh, like that. But that's Mm -hmm. an amazing testimony of a... Yeah, of a nation. So it was going on in the homes. You yeah, know, the, you know the uh, cottage Bible studies, cottage prayer meetings. You know, among families. Um, here's another quote from Martin Lloyd Jones, and he's considered by many the prince of preachers of the uh, 1900s. There's a great documentary about him. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, it's free. And he had two daughters, and his daughters pray. You know, daughters were believers. Great father, amazing guy. If you read his biography, uh, he said this. Uh, we should give our children the impression that the most wonderful thing in the world is Christianity and that there is nothing in life comparable to being a Christian. Uh, and that's so true. Like you think of George Young, I could care less. And so that would be my two greats. Great, great. Yeah, it'd be your great, great. Yeah, great, great grandfather. He'd be my great. I mean, I I could care less what he did for a, a living. I mean, if he was a trash collector or whatever, that would be yeah, absolutely fine know. with me. Uh, but the accolade from his local New Testament church is to me. I mean, that's as good as being king. Yeah, you know, uh, right there. So you know, Martin Lloyd, he said the, the best thing we could ever do for our children uh, is make christianity the biggest thing in the world yeah i've got a i've got the newspaper article of his death um george young's in 1920 it was cut out of the paper and i i have it at home and it indicates the fact for the last 10 years prior to his death and while he you know at at that time when he died he was a court crier that's what that's what they referred to him as as a court crier. Okay, and um, I'm I don't know exactly what, what a court that crier is. is whatever yeah, that I don't is, know whether yeah. he said here he here he you know or you know uh, <laughs> the honorable just, judge you know, so and so yeah, exactly all and, rise yeah that, <laughs> that, that may have been yeah. what it is now I, maybe that's something I have to figure out or find out but um, the thing is is really it doesn't make any difference it's yeah the heritage and legacy he left yeah 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 absolutely. Okay, so here I have another quote. This is the other end of the spectrum. So you have, I gave you a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and here is, from the other end of the spectrum, a former president who wrote his autobiography entitled Dreams of My Father. Mm -hmm. So remember that this president, Barack Obama, had an absentee father that had absolutely nothing to do with him. And so even after his father's death, what he's trying to do, I mean, interjects him all the way into the presidency. He's trying to please a dead father. Mm -hmm. So here is something that he said uh, June 15, 2008. uh, He had a Father's Day speech at the Apostolic Church of God in Chicago. He says this, we are honest with ourselves, we'll admit that 
what too many fathers also are missing, missing from too many lives and too many homes. They abandon their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men. And the foundation of our families are weaker because of it. You and I know how true this is in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all African-American children live in single-parent households, a number that has doubled and doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundation of our community are weaker because of it. We also need families to raise our children. We need fathers to realize the responsibility uh, that the responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child. It's the courage to raise one. Yeah, well, that's amazing coming from that source. But he obviously, like you said, he missed his father, and he's even, yeah, you know, like you said, wrote a book and, bringing and it, him up. And this the, is almost a speech of lament, yeah, uh, because he is mourning the loss of his father, right? Who was um, politically, let's say, I mean, he wasn't on my particular side, your side, but a great man politically, as far as his uh, ideology. Commun- right. communist ideology ideology yeah great um, for them yeah. but it completely abandoned his son and here his son later on in life after his father's dead still, still trying to please the old man yeah yeah Just, so. it, well he ended up spending more time with his grandparents right than he did in hawaii than he he did his uh his parents as far as that so he had an emptiness in there and and so he, he probably could be influenced anyway which he was um the wrong way obviously but yeah that's amazing that you have that yeah and, and the thing is is hindsight's always twenty twenty. that's true but the thing is is that you what he had to have is premature nostalgia in other words look back you know uh, and uh, you know nostalgia is looking back over your life premature premature nostalgia is looking at how you will feel at the end of something i'll tell you something funny i saw i saw a documentary the other day it's about money Mm-hmm. And how people just, they don't picture themselves as old, and so they don't save for uh-huh. retirement. Yeah. So they had this computer program, uh, that, and a lot of people, like, I think you could do it on the social media outlets and stuff. I've never done it, but you, like, take a picture of yourself and put it in this program, and it shows you what you're going to look like <laughs> when you're, like, 70 or 75. Oh, wow, yeah. And so it says when you see a picture of your older self, you'll be more empathetic towards your older self, and you're more likely to save yeah, and that's money. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, if you could picture yourself yeah. uh, as you have grown children who actually love you, yeah. you know, you better be nice to your kids because they're going to pick out your nursing home type thing. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you change their diapers, and you want, you know, you yeah, want right. them to take care of you when you're yeah. incapacitated as well. Uh, yeah, so you'd have to see yourself as older and see yourself your, as your relationship. And that's that premature nostalgia. See yeah. what you what what you will wish you had done Yeah, when you get there, because everybody's going to get there. But that's interesting having a program. they got a program for everything. So you, you know, <laughs> I know, I know. But to, to make it, show you what you're going to look like when you're 70 or 80 or whatever. Yes, yeah, so I have one more quote. Now we're going to wrap it up. But okay. um, here's General Douglas MacArthur. And um, amazing man. I mean... Um, 
you know, he old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Yeah. You know, he, uh, you know, he was very close to, uh, insurrection himself against uh, Harry Truman and uh, yeah. amazing guy, amazing leader, uh, interesting fella, another interesting character in history. Uh, but he said this, he said, when I am gone, I do not want to be remembered as a great general. I want to be remembered as a great father who read his Bible and prayed for his children. Mm, that's something. Yeah. We, we're always looking for the lights, and today we're living in the, the world of heroes. Yeah. Um, there's a gal who writes really good books, and I know that you really like her books. Uh, Doris Kearns, Kearns good one. Yeah. Uh, well, she worked for Lyndon Baines Johnson, mm -hmm, right. and she wrote his official autobiography. She gives a TED Talk. You can look it up and watch it on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes. Well, all TED Talks are 20 minutes or less. Um, but she talks about uh, three-legged stool. And she said how that Lyndon Baines Johnson just lived and was totally consumed by politics. And that how when his life in politics was over, his life was over. Yeah, he died. Yeah. And, um, you know, he didn't have a relationship to his children. He, you know, he had his own private lake and property down there in Texas. But, um, you know, she, she said, you know, you, your career, your hobby, your family, and that was her yeah. interpretation of it. But yeah, a lot of times uh, with men, we can get wrapped up in the identity of our workplace or whatever. You know, if your name was D General Douglas MacArthur, um, he has some perspective here. I couldn't tell you. You'd have to ask his children how good a father he right. was in all actuality. But he had a per perspective there that, now I want to be remembered by my family. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, that's really the only people who are going to remember you. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or whatever. Yeah, 100 years from now, nobody knows. No. You're, you're and when you're laying on your back staring up at the lights, who's going to be there? Yeah. You know, when you're breathing your last and doop. What is going to be doop, most important? Doop. Who's going to be in that room with you? Right. You know, when they're watching your, you know, heartbeat there. It's going to be your family. I mean, the, that's the who you want that, to be there The ones anyway. that were third on your list. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, I, the thing is, is it's a blessing to be a dad. It sounds like a scary thing, but it's a great blessing if you mm -hmm. look at it from the perspective that uh, the, the children are a gift from God and that they'll return to him one day and, you know, that you, you want to leave some memories that they'll um, be strengthened by. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um so, Dad, your, your, um, what is your, what's your little daily devotional called? Something in troublesome times. Yeah, it's a it's a daily devotion. We have it on our website, uh, and it's on it's on Facebook too, isn't it? You know, I don't know. I just do them, <laughs> and I send them to whomever, and they take um, care of I them. I think situation. it's called comfort, uh, comfort in troublesome times, or something, something like, like that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I don't. But know. look it up, Heritage Baptist Church on Facebook or on the internet, and that should come up. And I know, like a lot of people on our, t I, I like hardly ever get on Facebook, uh, not because I'm spiritual. I just don't yeah. like it. Um, <laughs> you yeah, know? right. And uh, but I know a lot of people really, really like those. Well, so you're gonna have to keep them going. Yeah, I, I know that they. I, I think we're a number we started in covid but it, i think we're in like around 377 377 of them um wow we, we do it yeah. six, day, six days a week and i take a scripture and just talk about it 
within three to seven minutes and shut her down. And yeah, it's just, just but, a little devotion. Yeah, but people look at so I, uh, it's a love thought. it. So yeah, look it up and uh, subscribe to it. I'm sure that you'll enjoy that very much. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. Thanks for being on today. Well, my blessing. All right. God bless you, each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.